Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By a show of hands, (laughs) you weren't expecting that. By a show of hands, tell me if it's not too hard for you to find an excuse to be angry. Yeah, I thought so. If you and I want an excuse to be angry, we don't have to look that far. It's as simple as waking up on the wrong side of the bed, so they say. It's as easy as somebody telling you something you don't want to hear or disagreeing with you. It's as easy as running late and somebody cuts you off or slows you down when you're trying to speed. It's as easy as spilling your cup of coffee and then wondering who left that out on the floor. It's very simple. It doesn't take much to tip the scales of our heart towards anger, towards hatred. It's much harder, much harder to turn our hearts towards love. Love being what the commandments of God are singly about. Love, the true love from God, isn't something you possess from birth. That's what we just saw our hymn teach us. Born in sin, doomed to hell. Doesn't seem like much love. But that is why in our collect of the day we prayed, Lord of all power and might, author and giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name. The love of your name. It's not there from birth. Sin is there from birth. Hatred is there from birth. But we need the Lord of all power and might to change our hearts, to graft into our hearts the love of his name, because by the love that we have for God, we shall also love our neighbor. They are connected. Have you ever seen what happens in a grafting when you try to change one tree from bearing a certain fruit to bearing a hybrid or a different thing altogether. The gardener has to come and take away what was not needed and then they make a a deep incision in there and place the new thing that they want to grow on top of what was already rooted in the ground. They want something different, but the tree, by talking to it, isn't enough. It has to be changed. They have to cut into it and place something entirely different because they cannot just make the tree grow some new fruit. It is God who is the one that is grafting in our hearts today the love of his name. He is cutting into our sinful hearts and putting something new there, something that was not there. Something that we could not will to be there. He has to place it there. And it is the God of all power and might who shall do such good things for us. Because after he has grafted the love of his heart, uh, the love of his name in our heart, he binds it up. He makes it to heal so that it grows, not just becomes the same, but grows into something entirely new. The new person the new creation, the new Adam that loves the law of God, that loves the righteousness of Christ, 
that loves to serve the neighbor, that comes from God. Love is the single requirement of every one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus tells us that there are really two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the rest of the commandments teach us what this love entails, what we owe our neighbor living under the law of God or living according to it. But when you look at this, that we must love our neighbor, we also know that God must teach us to love. In order to learn what love is, we have to read the scriptures. We have to be in the Bible. Because we can't just think, I know what love is. We must know what the love of God is. And teach is a key word there. Because it is humbling to think that we don't possess such a knowledge apart from God. But we must entrust ourselves to God's God's knowledge. God's wisdom, God's teaching. We must be spoken to. We must listen with faith and receive the grafting of God. Because if we don't listen, or if we think that we already possess all knowledge of what is good and loving, then everything that the Lord teaches just falls on deaf ears. I know that I've spoken to many of you in the past and, and I've listened to your grief that you've had over the world that our children and your grandchildren are growing up in. I've listened to your sadness about how our culture has gone. Some of you have told me this isn't the society I grew up in. This isn't how it was for me when I went to school. These aren't the freedoms that my brothers fought and died for. Some of you have expressed how ashamed you are at what this world has become. Your grief is over those who live lawlessly. We call them, or the term you might have heard me refer to them as, is antinomians. They are the lawless ones. We can't just simply say that people live lawlessly But we can say that they are lawless. They take and exchange God's laws for their own. They don't just live without rule and order, but they legislate laws which fit their own lawlessness. It protects them from living the way, or to live the way that they would like to live. It's a dismissal of God's law, in order that they be protected by the laws of men. And most of these laws, they can be reduced to something along these lines. If you can't tell that I'm hurting someone else, then what is it to you? I must not be hurting anyone. It's a living for what is your own pleasure, it's your own end goal. It's selfish, it's foolish. But antinomians aren't the only ones that have a problem with God's law. There are also, on the other side of that coin, those called legalists. 
legalists think that they can, in fact, achieve their own righteousness. That they can be righteous by doing righteous things. So maybe they do study God's law. They study it carefully. They extract from it all rules that they can obey, and then they imagine that they are obeying all of God's laws. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They think that they are righteous before God. They believe God must regard them as righteous because they have never murdered anyone. They have never raised their fist in a brawl. They believe they are fulfilling the commandment, you shall not murder. Legalists think that they are obeying the law when they are still doing much of what the antinomians are doing obeying only the laws which they themselves have created to protect themselves. The single rule of love is love God above all things, love your neighbor as yourself. It is the true meaning of every one of God's commandments. Jesus points this out. The legalist hears the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, and argues because he did not murder the one he insulted, He is therefore accused of doing no wrong. But by that very argument, the legalist condemns himself. Because as Jesus points out, he did not love. He hated. He was angry. And that's always the point. Did we love? John puts it in quite another way in in first epistle. He writes, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If it wasn't clear from Jesus, it was. John certainly makes it clear. There is no ambiguity. The one who hates his brother is a murderer. So you say you haven't murdered anyone. I believe you. You say you haven't beat anyone up with your fists? I believe you. Good for you. But have you been angry? Did you insult anyone? Have you spoken ill of people? Have you ever expressed to your brother your contempt? Do you think you have a right to show someone disrespect because of what he has done, because of his sins, therefore you can disrespect him? You are doing no wrong when you insult one who has done wrong to you? Jesus would disagree to all of that. He says, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, that means you fool, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says you fool, shall be in danger of hell of fire. You see, our hearts twist and turn to try to find some excuse for our anger and our hatred over those we wrong because we ourselves don't want to be killed by the law of God. But it is necessary that we be killed by this law. It is necessary that that incision of the Lord pierces so deep as to graft his heart, his love of his name into our hearts, not just our flesh, that it must permeate so deep that it changes who we are, 
that we become Christians, not people who just call ourselves such. That we be changed. As you read in our epistle, we are those who have been buried with Christ. That we are dead to sin, no longer living in it. God must take what was and make us into something that is after his own image, his own likeness. The likeness of Jesus Christ, who showed the love of the Father in mercy toward us. Jesus loved God, and he also loved his neighbor perfectly in both. This love for God and love for our neighbor is indivisible. If you love God, then you will love your neighbor. You cannot divide the two. Not even our own catechism divides the two. Every time we give a meaning to the catechism, we say that we should fear and love God that we may do this. The love that we have for God translates to the love that we have for our neighbor. Love for our neighbor is joined always to the love of God. That is why Jesus says so clearly in this gospel, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. It's not a suggestion. He says, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. It is more important to God that there be peace among the brothers of Christ than for you to harbor hatred and go forward in praise and worship of God. It might be hard for you to accept that. But the truth that Christ proclaims is this. God does not want your worship. He does not want your praise. He does not want your offering or your service or your made-up love if you will not love your brother. They go together. God loves you. And he loves also the one whom you refuse to be reconciled with. If you refuse to be reconciled by holding on to hatred then you have also, therefore, refused God's love. For the love is indivisible. And as we have so recently learned again, the measure of which you use to measure shall also be measured back to you. So Jesus tells us, very importantly, that we must turn our hearts toward him to learn from Christ that we ourselves realize the love that we have is not enough, that we often falter in our love for God and our love for our neighbor. This is why we pray after the communion that we receive, the body and blood of Christ, we pray that God would strengthen us by his mercy and both faith toward him and mercy toward or love toward one another. Jesus makes this very clear. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. After this sermon, if you think your righteousness is all that great, boy, you need to listen to it again. 
Our hope is not in our own righteousness. It's not in our own love. Our hope is in going to God and confessing to Him your sin of hatred, your sin of judgment, your sin of anger, your sin of refusing to be reconciled, of loving division more than unity. He who loves you with an eternal love directs you to the cross, directs you to Christ, who bore the insults, endured the disrespect, who submitted himself to all the taunts and the jeering, the mockery of sinful men. Where from the cross, even being pierced with the nails and the thorns, that he still prayed for your forgiveness. He said, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He overcame all hatred in this world with a divine love that desired the forgiveness of all and who made a way for that forgiveness by his own death and resurrection. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath over sin. It means in his body he suffered eternal hell in your place. He took the divine judgment of God's wrath over all sin the sin that we have done against others and the sin that others have done against us. All the hatred, all the lies, the self-righteous judgment, every other variant of evil in the entire human race, as I have said before, was imputed to Christ. He took it all. He suffered it all on the cross so that there might be and is and will remain forgiveness for all sinners. For all of us were condemned under the judgment and under the pain of eternal death. But Jesus did this in order to fulfill all righteousness. If you're chasing around trying to find the righteousness that comes by fulfilling the law, you're not going to attain it. And in the end, you won't even convince yourself that you have been good enough. You'll still find some fault in your life. So stop chasing it now. Turn to Christ. He's fulfilled all righteousness for you. Receive the righteousness of Christ. Receive his perfect life of love that makes you innocent. Be clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness that you have received in your baptism. Don't put it off any longer. Clothe yourself in it, for Christ alone has fulfilled the law of love. In loving the Father above all things, and in loving his neighbor and the like. We have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. We have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of every saint, every man or woman in the faith that you have ever admired, every person that has ever lived that lived a holy life, we still have a righteousness that exceeds all of them in the righteousness of Christ. And there is nothing in your own heart or mind or body left to boast of before the Father except for the complete righteousness of the Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as St. Paul wrote of it in his epistle to the Philippians, he said this, Yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is the righteousness that God grafts into our heart, clothes us with, that we might show the great love to our neighbor and let go of all hatred, lies, sin, anger, and to be embracing one another with the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus and rejoicing with one another in the great gift of spending eternal life with each other and with our Savior Christ, in whose name we say, Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.